coming up on this episode of the Unusable Podcast. The new normal. Spittle and fomites. A giant inflatable penguin. <laughs> Wank. <laughs> what even was that? That was me doing a penguin impression. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us, and talk about great design that just works, or moan about it when it doesn't. Howdy! Hey, Andrew. You doing Hi. all right? Yes, thank you. Are you? Yes, fine, thank you. Uh, so we've not podcasted in a while. Uh, you've moved house, which was That's probably right. a big deal. Over over Christmas, which... Uh, Does yeah. that make it more difficult or less difficult? Do you know what, actually... Uh, we were in just before Christmas and it, Christmas was a really good chance to sort everything out, having a bit of time off. So so actually, I think it was a good thing. But yeah, we didn't get a chance to put our lights up fully. Oh, uh, you know what? I never put lights outside, which is a shame because I love seeing all the lights outside. And I, I hate it when people take the lights down, but it's still dark in the evenings. You know what I mean? Like, no. The, people take it down straight after Christmas, but then you've got the entire of January and most of February where it's like... It's just um, miserable, you know. Yeah. And you could do with some like Christmas lights to sort of jazz it up a bit. So, what, are you are you advocating for Christmas lights? Yeah, but I just can't be bothered round. to, um, or at least oh yeah, the, all year round of winter through the whole of winter. Just just yeah. just put them on a dusk sensor so they come on automatically at night. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'd be happy with that. But yeah, <laughs> also I can't really be bothered to put them up myself because it just seems quite a lot of uh, faff. <laughs> well, do you know what? That's that's the biggest thing for me actually because I did have time to put them up, but it was kind of quite close to Christmas, and I was thinking. I'm going to be taking these down in a week if I put them up. There is no point. Like, if I wanted to put these up, I should have done it weeks ago. But obviously, I didn't have time because I was moving house. But, you know, I think if you get a good four weeks worth of time out of them, if you put them up early, December, and don't take them down until, you know, early January, that's a, that's a good amount of time, isn't it, for your lights? But putting them up the few days before Christmas to take them down a few days after Christmas is just pointless. Yeah. Well, that's why I think that they shouldn't be for Christmas. They should be for the entire of winter. They should be winter lights. Oh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. But like, get get rid of all the tacky like Santa um, Santa lights. Like, Randos, there's one that's like Santa on a bike and Santa in a helicopter and ridiculous things <laughs> like that. I'm pretty sure you've seen it as well. Well, there's a house opposite us that's um, amazing. It's got like a giant inflatable penguin outside as well. And all you but can penguin. hear. Penguin. Oh, I was gonna say all you can hear if you step outside at any point of the night is just this um, blower that's inflating this penguin, this inflate giant inflatable <laughs> penguin. You just you just hear outside this. It's really loud. I love it that you you seem to have moved house into the shadow of a giant inflatable penguin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Andrew, I wanted to talk about the ways that coronavirus has changed the world. So previously, I kind of didn't really want us to mention coronavirus and the pandemic and the lockdown and everything like that because i know you're dead you're dead set against it i wish how i suggested doing some topical content uh, well first i thought it'll be gone really quickly but turns out i mean it's a year on now and uh, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere but also it seems ridiculous because we we talk about like technology that goes wrong and and silly things that seem so minor in comparison like uh, door handles not being instructive enough yeah uh, things like that and so uh when people are literally dying it just seems 
Yes, disproportionate. Uh, is that the right word? It's it seems disproportionate. Tri- trivial. trivial. Yeah. It's a kind of a first. It seems trivial. First problem, isn't it? You, yeah, well, definitely. You, you say that. You say that, but we both know that usability can have uh, an impact on people's lives. In one of our very first podcasts, if you remember, we talked about usability uh, problems that have actually ended up killing people. Yeah, definitely. So okay. So even though, even though, yes, a lot of the things that we talk about, like silly door handles, in the con- in comparison to people dying of a in a pandemic that's fairly minor but don't trivialize usability because it can have a life and death impact and it you know it does have a big impact on things like people's mental health as well um yeah so coronavirus has definitely sort of changed the world and like how we use um technology and things like that and so that's why i wanted to mention it so um i want to start with just this little quiz andrew okay which of the following changes caused by coronavirus should we keep after the pandemic has ended. Okay. Right. So, number one. TV studio audiences made up of TV screens with strange, tinny, slightly delayed laughter and applause. <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched anything like Have I Got News For You? Where uh, it's it's a, normally a live show, but uh, lately, obviously, they've had to uh, not do it with a, a live studio audience. At, at the start, they had had absolutely no audience. And then they started getting audience who were watching it live streamed from home. But like the audience reaction was so delayed. It was bizarre. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of things like that don't work very well. And I think that's a case of them doing what they've got to to adapt. But I think they would yeah. go, surely they'll go back pretty quickly. Yeah. Afterwards. Okay, fine. Surely. Next one, uh, shops with a one-way system oh. and maybe a separate entrance slash exit. Oh, oh, this, so this is a massive bugbear of mine because <laughs> because it's just such an easy thing to follow Yeah, and nobody does in, in a pandemic. I was in a petrol station the other day and yeah. there was a one-way system where you would go in and queue to pay for your fuel. I should say gas station, shouldn't I, for our international audience? Um, right, okay. <laughs> I was waiting to pay anyway. And the person in front of me, rather than following the one-way system, they paid and turned around and walked straight towards me, which would have brought them in very close proximity to me. Yeah, but what what direction was the one-way system supposed to take them back in? Was it like a maze that they had to get out? No, they just had to walk down a different aisle in the shop. Like I was queuing okay. down an aisle. But Was it clear? Cause it was clear. My problem with these it things is sometimes it's not clear. It was. It, I think it was clear. But... Um, I mean, hey, if it was up to... So the problem is, in an ideal world, yes, I would keep that. I would have that in normal times because people... When you go shopping, other people are the most annoying thing. Other people are probably saying the same thing about you. Probably. But I think <laughs> I think practically the one-way system doesn't work. So there's no point keeping it. I think it definitely doesn't work, especially in uh, in our local shop. Um, there's There's a kind of odd number of aisles. And so... If you follow the one-way system, you end up sort of trapped and like at the back of the shop. <laughs> and and also when you're queuing for the for the tills, the the people queuing are in the way of people who go around the one-way system. Yeah. So I mean, you can't. You literally can't go around the one-way system and maintain a two-meter distance as you're supposed to with in coronavirus uh, rules. So it just doesn't. It just doesn't work. And then in some other places that I've seen, because you've going around this, you, you're funneled around this particular way around the store. It means that you end up uh, with a kind of a backlog, like a queue, 
you're waiting for the person in front and then the person behind you is waiting for you. Yeah. I, so instead of so I, going around the shop in a normal fashion and avoiding everyone, you're actually bunching all the people up together, which is worse. Well, I find that a problem. So yesterday I went to Aldi and there's a okay. there's a bit in the entranceway where you can clean your trolley. So the person in front of me stopped to clean their trolley and I stood back two metres to allow them to do that. Like there was no way I could squeeze past. I thought I'll just be patient and wait. But then people behind me started like queuing up behind me with no gap at all and tutting at me for like waiting because they wanted to go through. Yeah. So everyone, the problem is everyone's got a different idea about what's acceptable and what's not or whether they want to follow the rules or or not. And, And some people are in a hurry and some people are not in a hurry. Yeah. And those two things don't really work together. Next one, shops with uh, Perspex screens up uh, at the checkout so that uh, you can't, like, breathe the same air as the uh, as the person on the checkout. What's what's the name for the spittle bits? It's called fomites, isn't it? What? So when you talk and you, there's a l- little bits of spit that come out, uh, look kind of invisible, but, like, you accidentally, right. like, little bits of spit come out of your mouth as you talk. Right. That's called okay. fomites, I think. Lovely. Hi there, it's Future Andrew here. Uh, Realised uh, later that fomites are in fact not the bits of spit that come out of your mouth when you talk. They are infected surfaces. So, you know, if you grab a door handle or pick up a pen or anything like that and you have the virus, you may make that object infectious to someone who then picks it up later. Um, Yeah, I'm an idiot, basically. Anyway, back to the podcast. Right. That's not. I'm talking about the Perspex screens. Yeah, which will stop that. Stop that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, right. Do you think they we should like have them permanently? No. Right, good. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> they have them at banks, but only for like security. I I think it makes things feel very impersonal. Um Yeah, yeah. It feels quite detached, doesn't it? Like if I go to the shop, part of the experience of that is just a little bit of banter with the person yeah. there. I understand don't get me wrong, I, I'm not I understand why they're there right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think it's important that they're important right now. I'm not trying Absolutely. to advocate that they shouldn't be there. But I think in an ideal world, if the if the risk was lower, then yeah, I think I think we should remove them. All right. On, on TV, on the news, mm. anyone they interview appearing via a low quality video feed from their own house uh, with their own recently published books on a shelf behind them. <laughs> <laughs> Have you noticed people do that? I've been watching the yeah. news and people are definitely doing that. Like, oh, now over to Professor Somebody of Something. And he's like got all these books behind him of like <laughs> he's published. <laughs> that would not normally be there. I'm sure he's just rushed no, to do that. Hold on for a the minute. News. Hold on a minute. This was this was a thing before the pandemic. Do you not remember the the, the career expert where the kid runs in? The kid runs room. in, like doing a little dance, and then the, the mum comes in and drags drags the kid out. Yeah. 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 Okay. That, that that was before the pandemic started. So clearly having low quality news feeds and you're promoting your own books in the background was a thing beforehand. Okay, true. Uh, I just, I feel like it's, well, it's just, it's become the norm now. And what is another thing that I've noticed is really odd is when the the journalist has obviously done a Skype call. or No, it's normally like a Zoom call. And you can tell because it's got, you can see part of Zoom's interface. Like they've, um, they've recorded the screen. Yes. And, it's got and the, so you can the, see this, the person's the Zoom interface down the, the right hand side. Yeah. Oh yeah. All the buttons. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there must be a better way to do that than just recording your screen. But I don't know. Maybe there isn't. Yeah. You, you, you like to think, don't you, that the media would have really specific, great software for doing things like that. That's really optimised. And just yet, uses no, some just crappy screen recorder software that just uses, Zoom, uses your frame rate. Yeah, a Zoom subscription and a and a screen recorder. That's all we need. And everyone's got really bad like lip sync. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's always terrible. Uh, and and the satellite delay as well. Yeah. Yeah. Next one. Okay, so guests in a, in chat shows sitting a long way apart. Right. The only reason why I mentioned this is because. If you've not got a very large TV, it's really difficult to see who the people are. It's like they're really far away. Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed this? I have. I have. I've also noticed the same thing happening on uh, soap operas, like EastEnders. They're still filming, but the actors obviously aren't from the same household. Like, on screen, they play people from the same household. But in real life, they're not people from the same household. So all of the scenes in EastEnders are contrived so the the people can sit two metres apart. And it's hilarious because there's like three people in the scene, but they're like, one's awkwardly sitting on the windowsill. And one's (laughs) one's on the sofa. And one's like stood up. But the only way, that's the only way, like normally they'd just be sat around a coffee table or whatever, but that's the only way they can can record it. I've never seen that. I I didn't even know that that was a thing. But yeah, Yeah, that must make... Recording really, really difficult. Yeah. And also just think like, just think if you've got an old fashioned TV that's like a CRT that's um, a four by three ratio, not not like a widescreen one. Mm-hmm. It must be really difficult to see the actors faces. Yeah. Yeah, it must if be. If you've not um, got like a HD TV. I wonder if they'll bring back, if they'll sort of start introducing like a weird split screen so that you can have like a zoomed up close up of two separate people. Uh, well, that's, that's weird, isn't it? Well, almost like almost like our videos that we do. Well, part of the reason why I mentioned that is because something that they do on Good Morning Britain, you know, the the thing with um, Pierce Morgan and uh, stuff. Sad, they, sad, sadly, yes, I do. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, so what they do is they they sit two meters apart. Yeah. But they do a split screen so that it looks like they're really close, like shoulder to shoulder. And at Christmas, I noticed they had um, a Christmas tree that was between them, but it wasn't one Christmas tree. It was. Half of the tree on one side, of the, uh, one side of the studio, and half of the tree on the other side of the studio, and then they've split screened it so that it looks like the same tree in the middle that's, that's between them. That's quite clever, but then you've got the problem that people might mistake that they are actually shoulder to shoulder and start well, complaining. Or weird thing is, if someone starts like gesturing with their arm, their arm just like suddenly disappears, and it's really yeah. it looks really <laughs> odd. <laughs> <laughs> right, next one. Mm-hmm. Contactless payments seems to be like across the board the new normal, which I'm completely fine with. I by this point I don't think I've used cash in like in, in over a year. Everywhere I go, there will be contactless payments. It just seems completely normal. Yeah, they they were forced to up the limit as well, weren't they? They one of the first things that seemed to happen is that the limit went from about thirty pounds, I think, to about forty five pounds. So yeah, it meant that yeah. a lot more transactions were covered by that. Um yeah, I mean, I don't actually... And that's great, because you can just wave your card. You don't have to touch anything. Yeah, I mean, from what I've read, the actual transmission from touch is very, very low. In fact, there's no evidence to suggest that it is being transmitted by touch-only theories, basically. But yeah, it's just so much more convenient. Like, why contactless is, is, is a brilliant uh, thing. I guess people are concerned about security. Um, I suppose so, yeah. Because a lot of people are kind of tinfoil hat wearing, aren't they, when it comes to credit cards and they, they put their cards all in like these RFID blocking wallets and things like that. But your bank will reimburse you for fraudulent transactions. Yeah, and okay. So it's not so, it's not too much to worry about then. Well, I don't, yeah. I mean, I pay for everything I can on a credit card because the, there is extra levels of consumer protection. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm not really worried. I don't walk around worried about it because if I saw something I didn't recognise on my statement, I'd just say, uh, that wasn't me. And then it gets refunded. Yeah. So next one, shopping online from local shops, from local like high street shops. So it seems like a lot of local shops, obviously uh, they're, they're closed with the, the lockdown. So they've moved to a completely online way of doing things. Which is great, but a lot of the local shops, they're, they're having to do this for the first time and it doesn't seem like they've really got the hang of it. Um, okay, do you have an example of that? Okay, no, maybe not, but maybe I should move on to the next one, which is the same same thing, but restaurants. So there's a lot of pubs and restaurants that are local that haven't done takeaway before and now they're forced to have to do takeaway because it's the only thing they can do. They can't be open because um, they're just not allowed to be open. So uh, they have got a weird process in, in place. One of the local restaurants near us, they, they've got a website, but they don't update the website with like their process, like, uh, or their menu. That this is the bigger thing. They're selling things. Uh, they're selling food online, but they don't have a menu on the website. They put the website. Uh, sorry, they put the menu on Facebook. They post it on there every week, and then they ask you to to send them a message on Facebook to order it. So there's no like e-commerce website. You can't um, you can't pay online. You have to choose what you want from a from a JPEG, essentially a low quality. JPEG of the menu that they've created, yeah, uh, and then you've got to send them a message about what you actually want. So I, I don't, uh, I won't beat up local businesses too hard for that because they're not, they're, they're doing what they can to adapt, and this must. Oh be yeah, definitely, for definitely, them. yeah. Um, in fact, the ones, that, the ones that, so there's two, two groups that frustrate me. So first of all, large businesses have, I think bent the rules a bit you know people like so there's a lot of big businesses that have stayed open even when smaller ones have shut because they've managed oh, right. to dodge dodge the rules about what has to be open and what's got to close they're calling themselves essential yeah i think the bigger businesses like amazon have just grown obviously because they they're doing home delivery they're, yeah they're... especially at christmas how many people would have just bought all their christmas shopping from amazon yeah they would yeah, be absolutely raking it in that that's why i wanted to make sure that i, I shopped locally yeah and try to make an effort uh to buy from like really local shops keep them going support them uh, and not buy everything from amazon which is just it's just so much easier to buy things from amazon this is what i'm i'm finding well that's the that's the problem, isn't it? Is that Amazon have nailed the convenience aspect. They're just um, so good. The postage is either free or cheap. The delivery time is quick. Um, the selection is extremely broad. Yeah. The way that you can search for stuff is is good. Um, like if I wanted to, to buy things from local shops... Oh, you say that. It, you say that, it, but Amazon's... Amazon search is awful. If you type in, if you search for anything in Amazon these days, all you get is like cheap Chinese knockoff stuff that's like from a brand you've never heard of. If you search for headphones in Amazon five years ago, you'd have got like well-known branded decent headphones. Now all you get is a selection of like jingle ping headphones and like, it just doesn't. (laughs) But that's still so much more useful than like doing a high street shop online because. And it's all fake reviews as well. Loads of fake reviews. True. Okay. So so that is fairly bad. But what I mean is that if I'm trying to shop from local shops in our town, you have to go to the website of each of those shops individually. And so you can't really do yes. a search because each shop will only do, I don't know, 100 items each. And and if it doesn't do them, well, then you go like, well, I don't know then. Whereas in Amazon, you've got an almost infinite amount of products to choose from. Yeah, but 
I don't understand what you're searching for that might be stocked by both a greengrocer and a lamp shop, for example. <laughs> like, what, what are you, what are you putting in the search that? I, I, I don't know. Uh, I think for me, maybe the way that I do shopping on the high street is different to the way that I do shopping online. Online, obviously, you know what I know what I want. I search for it. I can find it. If I'm walking down the high street in a physical and looking through physical shops, I'm just looking for stuff. I'm waiting for the products to come and present themselves to me. Yeah. Whereas yeah, online, so th- this is... they're not going to be presented to me because I haven't searched for them yet. I-, I find this problem with online shopping, for you know, online grocery shopping, which some people enjoy and some people don't. I find this exact problem with online grocery shopping. Yeah. That the grocery websites, whether it's Tesco, Morrison's, yeah. whatever it is, they are incredibly efficient and good. If you know in advance, I want a pint of milk, um, a joint of beef, yeah. you know, it's, it's easy to find those things. Where I find they fall down relative to the in-shop experience is if you think, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure what meals I want next week. Um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to head out to the shop and I'm going to see what looks fresh and what looks tasty and Maybe I'll get some meal inspiration. And if you go to the physical shop, that normally happens. You'll walk around and you'll go, you'll you'll sort of almost see an anchor item for your dish, for whatever it is you want to cook. You go, oh yeah. A what item? Like the anchor item in your in your an meal. Anchor item? As in like the the key, the core, the, the thing that makes it. What I've never heard that. The anchor item. The anchor is the core. I made it up, right? It's not, this isn't a thing. Oh, right. I'm just... <laughs> You're trying to make it a thing just by, casu- by casually passing it off as a real saying. <laughs> yes. Right, okay. You know what I mean, though? Like the, 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 main, the main thing in the, in the meal. Right, okay. Yeah, so you, you might go to the supermarket and you might go, oh, they look like really nice veggie sausages. I don't know, whatever it is that you've seen. Yeah, yeah. And then you what can make I'll a meal I'll... around that, so yeah. Yeah, you then, you then build a meal around it. Whereas on a, online... There's no, none of the online supermarkets have a good way of browsing. And even if you do browse, you just get these little sort of thumbnails of like a really like cold and unappealing to, to, you know, you don't look at a little picture of like, I don't know, to me, those, those little pictures don't really do a great deal to sell it, to market it to yeah. me, to, to, to kind of get me excited about what I could do with that product. A picture um, of a pack of apples isn't as exciting as one nice, lovely apple that's presented to you. Is it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you yeah. go to the supermarket and you look at the fruit and veg and you go, oh, these apples look really fresh. I'll, I'll do something with some apples. Let me get a load of apples. Whereas online, it's all just these like plasticky packets of stuff. And you're like, I've no idea. And you might order some stuff and it turns up it's nice and other stuff and it's like out of season and really manky. Or um, it's either like way more than we ever expected it was going to be or it's going to be like a tiny, tiny pot because we've completely yeah. misjudged the, uh, the, the sizes. That's a recurring problem for you, isn't it? I know. Mis- yeah. Misjudging just, the scale of happens, things. Yeah. You get these tiny little pots and they thought it was a full size one. Yeah. Right. Next one. Um, working from home. Uh, this is a big one. So, I mean, let's just kind of be brief about it. But how do you feel about working from home? Because you and me, have, uh, we're now working from home full time because of coronavirus. Would you prefer that to stay as it is? If If I'm honest, I hate it. Me too. Me too. I I used to think that working from home would be like such a liberating experience, but now I'm just here. I'm just like sat in the same room every day, and I just cannot wait to get out and to see someone. Yeah. Um. I think it depends what sort of person you are. Uh, but I definitely get my my energy, my inspiration to to work 
from from the others around me. Yeah. If I'm in a very energetic, dynamic environment, I think I thrive. And I think being at home on my own, uh, I think one of the biggest things for me is that being home is is that kind of is the kind of anxiety actually is massive um, that you're not doing enough, and so I just end up working more and more and more and more. Yeah. And. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. Which is the opposite of what you think. You know, you think working from home, oh, I get so much time back. I don't have to commute. I'm my own, you know, the boss of my own time at home. It's great. But yeah, for me, it's the opposite. I just feel this almost such a massive sense of like missing out. Like I'm missing something all the time. Yeah. By not being by not being in an environment that's giving me any feedback. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, I just feel like I need to keep working harder and harder and harder and harder and yeah, mass- uh, yeah. I'm I'm at the point of burnout. I think practically. Oh my god. Um, so I want to get I want to go back to the I want to go back to the office anyway. Yeah. Oh. That would be my preference. It's nice that you miss everybody. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I worry as uh, just generally about people's mental health working from home. I think a lot of people are. They're struggling. Oh, I just assume everyone else is fine. It's just me that has a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Right, next one. Uh, Online talks and theatre productions. So I've done a few comedy... What would you call them? I wouldn't call them a comedy gig, but a comedy thing. Some kind of live live comedy. Um, I I did one. It was this um, fake psychic called Clinton Baptiste, the the, the comedy. Yeah, I I saw that as well. And he did this thing. It's just him talking to camera, doing his set that he would normally do in front of a in front of an audience. Um, And you can sort of send messages to him. And loads loads of people have been doing that as well. Not just comedians. I saw that um, Lucy Worsley, who's a historian, did a, a talk. And I've been to one of her talks before. And she she talks in front of the audience and talks about something in history and so she's obviously been doing that online now you can pay some money for a ticket join in do you think that sort of thing will continue because there's advantages but also disadvantages i think most performers would say that they really like the reaction of the audience and i'd I'd imagine so yeah and they feed off that to kind of especially comedians i would imagine yeah doing some comedy without people laughing back at you must be really really difficult yeah 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 but but yeah i think at least from a viewer's point of view there's a lot it's a lot more convenient isn't it like you don't have to set aside a whole yeah because you could do it from home you don't have to go anywhere yeah you can reach a, a global audience well that's it the advantage from the performer is that you can scale it up to as many people as you, as you want can tune in because uh i was listening to what but, but then it's basic it's basically tv at that point isn't it you may why it's basically a youtube live screen live stream what's the difference yeah well it is the same thing but you're you're charging for it. They, they can charge less for it, which is probably not so good for them, but they can sell it to more people. Because a, a, a normal theatre, you're limited by the amount of people that you can get into the theatre. Whereas if you're doing it yeah. online, then you're not. We saw one and it was a, a theatre and they, they do like improv. And so you can tweet them to say, uh, I want it to be like, I want you to include this idea. And they, they said that they had 8,000 people watching that one night and they'd be doing it all week and they can never get 8,000 people into a into a theatre normally they must be raking it in well they, exactly exactly yeah I do think though that there's going to be and I, this is always the case but even more so during the pandemic there are going to be some winners and there are going to be some losers I think those people that have been smart and have adapted will will come out the other end quite uh, quite well off like you see you yeah. see just in our in our town yeah. There are two independent alcohol shops, aren't there? <laughs> yeah. One of one one of them, as soon as the pandemic hit, moved to having, you know, selling online, delivering home beer boxes, you know, doing all that kind of thing. And the other one basically just 
said, oh, it's all too difficult. And, and just closed. Up, sh- and just closed. <laughs> and I spoke to the owner of that second business the other day and I said, you know, how things have been, uh, how th- you know, just politely asking how things have been for them this year. And they said, oh, it's been terrible. And I said, you know, well, what did you consider going online or doing something, you know, trying to trying to innovate? And, and, and they just kind of shrugged it off and said, oh, it's too difficult for me. It's too, too much effort to go to. to and, I, and I think that's where you're going to see winners and losers. I think people that are stubbornly holding on to the old way of doing things are... Yeah. And it's sad. It's sad because, the I, I, you know, I don't wish ill on these people. Like, you know, they've been owned a business for a long time. They've been doing things a certain way. But yeah, they might find themselves in 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 trouble if they're not careful. It's a, it's a it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because yeah, but I was going to say I, sp- I spoke to another business that's doing diff- home food delivery, and I said, "How have things been for you?" And they said, "Do you know what? We hadn't been set up long before the pandemic hit, and we'd planned to do all these food fairs and do all this other stuff. Um, we had to pivot really quickly to doing home food deliveries, but but they said it's the best thing we could have done." We've been absolutely run off our feet every day. We've made, you know, we, we're making a real success of this. It's been absolutely fantastic. It couldn't have been a better thing for us. And it's it's really interesting to see those different perceptions coming out of the pandemic because there's often a, narr- a narrative of, of, of negativity about, it's, you know, how negatively it's impacting various businesses. But... But I think there are those that are capitalising on it at the same time. I think it's a massive opportunity if you are, if you're smart and if you're willing to to adapt what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So my concern as an outcome of the pandemic is that people might decrease investment in UI, UX, things like accessibility. Are, are they going to be seen as um, less essential? You know, if people are looking to... Co- what, websites? Are people going to consider websites less essential? No. Websites are more essential than ever, surely. Well, maybe. I'm just thinking that, okay, yes, websites are more essential than ever. But if people are trying to accomplish more on less budget, then are they right. going to cut things like accessibility? Are they going to cut things... That, that we would consider important are, are those things oh, okay. that are seen as less as as, as less important uh, in the face of budget cuts. Yeah. Oh, is that a question to me? Yeah. Oh, I I, I don't know. I don't know. I I'm I work for an agent an agency, a digital agency, and we've been busier than ever. So we've, as far as I can tell, got no sign of uh, of, of people cutting anything. But then it depends on the sort of clients that you've uh, that you've got. I mean, if you if you're working with small companies mm-hmm. then i mean maybe if they're uh, if things are tight for them then they're, they're not going to be spending money on websites uh maybe we've just been fortunate but it, it completely depends i do know uh i knew a web developer who was put on furlough for a while so he was not not working uh well, i know a few but it's completely different across the board isn't it but i'm pretty sure websites are more essential than ever yeah because people are buying more online and um and ordering things online although irritatingly like i said before restaurants are using facebook to to, to put their menus well, on rather than their own websites well, that is the other thing is that people that previously relied on the physical world to have an accessible experience are now relying on technology which may not be accessible if the way that you used to go and get your takeaway is to physically go into into a restaurant and pick it up that restaurant may have had yeah adaptations to the building that meant it was okay for you or maybe you're you know what affects you doesn't stop you going into a building however you might have some impairment that means that the ordering online is a particular problem for you so it is an accessibility challenge i think or there are greater accessibility challenges i should say mm, possibly you know things like yeah. things like councils are all having to move from having a physical office where you could go and pay your bills to doing online provision as well which sounds ideal to me really because that should be 
in theory, accessible by more people just using the internet. Are you worried that it's it's going to be worse for, say, old people who don't know technology? Yes, yes. I think having multiple ways to do something, whether it's in person or online, you are increasing the accessibility of that activity, aren't you? Whereas if you... Re- if Ah, uh, I see what you mean. What I'm saying is by removing the in-person method... Yeah, okay. Some people might have an impair- impairment that makes, it, makes them really struggle to independently use, say, a website. Oh, right, okay. So it means you've got to be really careful about accessibility. So um, I suppose the importance there is to have is to make sure that when you do build a website, it's an accessible website, not some crappy website generator made thing that isn't yeah. accessible. Yeah. Don't want to name any names, yeah. but the bad ones. <laughs> yeah, and we can we can imagine. Three, two, one. Bad, bad usability, usability nightmares. nightmares. Yeah. Woo. Have you got one? Uh, yes, I have. Mm, good. So yes, I recently moved house and had a period of time where I had no internet connection or no yeah. wired internet connection, Yeah, which in itself is ridiculous that in 2021, we have to wait a month for internet to be installed. I know. Yeah. So weird. That's just ludicrous. But anyway, um, what this meant was that I was relying on my mobile internet connection to order things for our new house. So we're in a pandemic, we've moved house, We, we there's a lot of stuff that we needed, like light bulbs and um, furniture and, you know, all the sorts of things that you need in a house when you first move yeah. in, curtains, all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. And it really made me realise uh, just how important things like loading speed and, and optimization are um for for mobile sites because yeah those retailers that had put extra effort into optimizing their e-commerce sites it was very apparent all of a sudden which sites were optimized for a fast loading time and which weren't you know there's some sites that you just give up waiting for them to load because they were ridiculous and there's other sites where they would load very very quickly yeah it just amplified obviously you know if one site takes takes twice as long as another to load and you know but it's one second and two second it doesn't really matter but if one's taking four seconds and one's taking eight seconds, that's all of a sudden a, a much bigger difference. Yeah. So it seems like mobile websites, obviously a mobile website is not a new thing, no. right? But it does seem like only a small amount of companies have really put effort into properly making your website work well on a mobile. And I don't just mean responsive design. You know, it looks like it works on a mobile. The important thing is speed and well, responsiveness of another type. Because, you know, when we say, when we talk about responsive website, uh, web design, we mean it adapts to it different fits. Yeah. It, it adapts, it physic- not, not physically, because it's not a physical thing, but but you can see that it, it fits on a small screen or on a screen of any size. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the whole point. But it's the, the speed and the quickness and the snappiness is so important and, well, just as important, really. Yeah, massive, massively important. It, it it drove home to me why why all the core web vital stuff that Google's promoting at the moment is so important. Um, yeah. Okay. Ensuring. Give us a quick uh, reminder about what they are. So you've got essentially the loading speed. You've got whether the site jumps around as it loads, uh, and you've got whether there yeah. is uh, something that holds the site up that means clicking on an item might have a delay. So input delay, they call it. Yeah. Yeah, so those are like metrics that you can use to test your website for. And if your website does really well on those metrics, then it usually indicates that you've got a good site. But I reckon most websites, especially webs- especially shopping websites, these seem to be the worst, usually because they're built on like really bloated CMSs. They, I reckon most shopping websites will fail quite badly at all of those metrics. Yes, yes, they do. Um, 
there's only there's there are very very few sites that get a green rating in 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 lighthouse these days yeah very few sites um but the trickiest part about it is i think google move the goalposts so they calibrate the score so that a certain percentage get good a certain percentage get bad and the rest are in the middle but of course the sites get better the threshold required for good increases because they recalibrate it around having only a certain number of sites so you might be green today but in a year's time you might slip down the ranking Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Oh, well, that makes sense. As other people improve. Well, d- but does it... Are you, so are you saying that if everybody in the world optimised their sites to load in a second, even on a flaky internet connection, that you would still have people with a poor performance? Because I don't think performance is relative, is it? It's it's quite absolute. Like, if it loads quickly on a flaky internet connection, it loads flaky on, on a bad internet connection. But you said that before about moving the goalposts. And I think perception is important. If every website in the world is really, really quick, um, then you probably want to reward the one that's even quicker. Yeah, true. There's no point true. having a, a testing suite. Like this is what we're talking about. This is this is Google's lighthouse testing thing. There's no point having a testing where every single te- website you test gets good. It needs to be uh, proportional to uh, you know. It needs to say this one's bad compared to all well, websites. It, it, it depends what you're trying to do with it, though, doesn't it? it uh, and, and I think the problem certainly at the moment is that the scoring can be unfair. So if you have invested time into making your website fast, you might score, say, 80 out of 100. Yeah. And that's faster than the vast majority of websites. It's blazing fast on most most sites. But because you didn't get to 90, you don't get green, you get an amber warning. And it's like, well, come on. Like, that's... Do you know what I mean? It just seems a bit unfair. I, I think it's a good that they're gamified. Makes people try a little bit harder. <laughs> <laughs> We've gamified UX. Well, if the end goal is to make a, a website that's brilliant for most people, then I'm fine with that. I think that's a good thing. Controversial, controversial. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I think no. I just I I, I I mostly agree. I just think that I'm not sure whether only having ten percent of sites at any one time being classed as good is actually representative of the real world. Like, are we really saying that only 10% of the sites in the world are fast enough? Um, I don't know. Don't know. Mm. To be discussed. Don't know. Can I tell you, Andrew, about our latest Twitter followers? Please do. Okay. Uh, do you want to say hello to each one? Or just not bother this time? Yeah, why not? Why not? Let's give them a big a big hello. Oh, great. Okay, <laughs> okay we've got Parinaz Kasemi. Howdy doody. Lee Moss. Howdy doody. Bonnie Anderson. Howdy doody. Patrick G. Bull. Howdy doody. Rachel Bookwalter. Howdy doody. Marie Creates. Howdy doody. Martin Simarenko. Howdy doody. Michael Dooling. Howdy doody. Marilyn Salgano. Howdy doody. Frost Samula. Howdy doody. Emma Horrell. Howdy doody. Sarah Murray. Howdy doody. And Jack Siddall. Howdy doody. Are you regretting saying howdy doody now? Because uh, I think you had to say it so many times. Yeah, I don't think I said howdy doody every time. I think it came out wrong a few times. But, <laughs> yeah. Right, doesn't matter. Mm. Right, are we done? Is this the end of the podcast? I think it might be. So if you have seen or used something unusable recently, we want to hear about it. You can email us at podcast.theunusable.com and we're on Twitter at Unusable Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, there's plenty more. The last episode we talked about Occam's Razor and on YouTube we've got a video of us talking about our lovely t-shirts. 
Mitch. Yes. Mitch. Speaking of which, uh, if you want to go to our website at podcast.unusable.com, you can buy one if you'd Ooh. like to support us. Uh, music is by Gold5472. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get a notification about the next one. And that's it. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye.